Streaming live to the station. MutinyRadio.fm. District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm. Mutiny the world's deadliest assassins are already dead. A shadowy group of killers for hire is eliminating world leaders, crime lords, and CIA agents. Inexplicably, the deceased contract killers have the DNA of people who are long dead. CIA agent John Clooney devises a dangerous plan to capture a shadow killer alive. Contract a hit on himself. John Wessex, The Shadow Killers, is the second book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. These things just took over me. It's your boy Sifo here, here to let you know that the 5th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is March 1st through 7th, 2020 with special podcasts and comedy shows, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all week. Get your tickets now on Eventbrite. Just search Mutiny Radio and get ready for 76 comics from all over the U.S. coming for 66 programs in seven days all here at 2781 21st Street in the heart of the mission. Or if you can't be with us, listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at www.mutinyradio.fm. Join us March 1st to 7th for these amazing events. What kind of a future? Law Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Law Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Davis, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. Baby, cut that thing off. I hear it. Ooh, what is that you got on this minute so good? I ain't going to work today, I know. Yeah. 
After Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I don't want to go to work at home. I said, after Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you know I don't want to go to work at home. After that long weekend, darling, I don't want to do a thing but lay around. Take the phone off the hook, put a note on the door too. I don't want to do a thing but spend this time with you. Call my job and tell the boss I won't be in. Cause my head is in a spin, cause I've had too much weekend. Said I'm fired. That's me. Did you really take the phone off the hook? You can't take a joke. I never seen a woman like this going all days of my life. Now what you gonna do about paying the bill? Yeah, I said the bill. Now you got the gas bill, the light bill, not counting the food bill. You got the electric bill and you got the water bill. Look like you gonna have to get a job. And I don't want you coming in fussing. Saying I'm pimping when I asked you how much the check is if it was here. Are you listening?
Here's one more item for you, the last in our civics book, rights. Boy, everyone in this country is always running around yammering about their fucking rights. I have a right. You have no right. We have a right. They don't have a right. Folks, I hate to spoil your fun, but there's no such thing as rights, okay? They're imaginary. We made them up, like the boogeyman. The three little pigs, Pinocchio, Mother Goose, shit like that. Rights are an idea. They're just imaginary. They're a cute idea. Cute. But that's all cute and fictional. But if you think you do have rights, let me ask you this. Where do they come from? People say, well, they come from God. They're God-given rights. Oh, fuck, here we go again. Here we go again. The God excuse. The last refuge of a man with no answers and no argument. It came from God. Anything we can't describe must have come from God. Personally, folks, I believe that if your rights came from God, he would have given you the right to some food every day. He would have given you the right to a roof over your head. God would have been looking out for you. God would have been looking out for you. You know that? He wouldn't have been worried about making sure you have a gun so you can get drunk on Sunday night and kill your girlfriend's parents. But let's say it's true. Let's say God gave us these rights. Why would he give us a certain number of rights? The Bill of Rights of this country has 10 stipulations, okay? 10 rights. And apparently God was doing sloppy work that week because we've had to amend the Bill of Rights an additional 17 times. So God forgot a couple of things, like slavery. Just fucking slipped his mind. But let's say, let's say God gave us the original 10. He gave the British 13. The British Bill of Rights has 13 stipulations. The Germans have 29, the Belgians have 25, the Swedish have only six, and some people in the world have no rights at all. What kind of a fucking goddamn God-given deal is that? No rights at all? Why would God give different people in different countries different numbers of different rights? Boredom? Amusement? Bad arithmetic? Do we find out at long last, after all this time, that God is weak in math skills? Doesn't sound like divine planning to me. Sounds more like human planning. Sounds more like one group trying to control another group. In other words, business as usual in America. Now, if you think you do have rights, one last assignment for you. Next time you're at the computer, get on the internet, go to Wikipedia. Get to Wikipedia, in the search field for Wikipedia, I want you to type in Japanese Americans 1942, and you'll find out all about your precious fucking rights, okay? All right, you know about it, you know about it. Yeah. In 1942, there were 110,000 Japanese American citizens in good standing, law-abiding people who were thrown into internment camps simply because their parents were born in the wrong country. That's all they did wrong. They had no right to a lawyer, no right to a fair trial, no right to a jury of their peers, no right to due process of any kind. The only right they had, right this way, into the internment camps. Just when these American citizens needed their rights the most, their government took them away. Rights aren't rights if someone can take them away. That's all we've ever had in this country is a bill of temporary privileges. And if you read the news even badly, you know that every year the list gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You see how soon it is? Yeah. 
Sooner or later, the people in this country are going to realize the government does not give a fuck about them. Government doesn't care about you or your children or your rights or your welfare or your safety. It simply doesn't give a fuck about you. It's interested in its own power. That's the only thing, keeping it and expanding it wherever possible. Personally, when it comes to rights, I think one of two things is true. I think either we have unlimited rights or we have no rights at all. Personally, I lean toward unlimited rights. I feel, for instance, I have the right to do anything I please. But if I do something you don't like, I think you have the right to kill me. So where are you going to find a fairer fucking deal than that? So the next time some asshole says to you, I have a right to my opinion, you say, oh, yeah? Well, I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. Then shoot the fuck and walk away. Thank you.
Alarm clock, volumes up, gotta fill that coffee cup. Caffeinated, just enough stretch and send a prayer up for your kids and family to be safe, be strong, and be healthy. And one day that they be set free, but right now you got a whole house of mouths to feed. Time is really running thin. Can you fit a breakfast in? Lucky if you see your kids, Zebra, take this moment in. another day gotta be on time today and update that resume because this recession is a test they're making cuts now they want more for less if you start to feel that extra stress just do your best and leave the rest our ancestors did it too somehow they all made it through something that we all must do keep hope alive keep hope alive you'll make it too and in case nobody told you on your job today and in case they didn't tell you on your job today, Las Cafeteras would like to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To mothers who sacrifice to make ends meet. Thank you. To fathers who faithfully take care of their seeds. Thank you. To farm workers, the food you harvest keeps us alive. Training their students to excel and survive. Thank you. From cooks, waiters, and bakers for our daily bread, to TAs, assistants, and those teaching special ed. Bus drivers getting us to work on time. For DJs, breakers, writers, and MCs who rhyme. Students with two jobs hitting those books at night. And the organizers bringing us together to fight. The little ones doing their chores and homework and all those under and unemployed looking for work. Factory workers, migrants from distant lands. South Central farmers teaching us to work with the land. Construction workers building up the world with their hands. These days time passes faster than the quickest of sands. and sweatshops, street vendors on each block, spiritual leaders and sweats, hot heat cleanses like detox, those working against addiction, fighting against eviction, the culture workers, musicians and artists on a mission to transform our community with care and conviction, the single parents making miracles each week, and to our elders for the truth and the courage you speak, to ancestors whose hard work paved the way, and to everyone who's out there doing labor today, to my indigenous people and our creator too, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you, so thank you.
Well, yeah. You're uh, tuned into Labor and Love on uh, Mutiny Radio, Saturday morning, 10 to 12. Show by, for, and about working people and their lives. My name is Bill Morgan, a.k.a. The Beast, and we're here with you for two hours to celebrate working people in their campaigns. If you didn't notice already, the show comes to you from 2781 21st Street, corner of Florida, El Mero Mero, in the heart of the mission. And we started you out there with some work-related stuff, huh? Call my job. Albert King, the master of the blues guitar, call my job, tell the boss I'm not coming in. Then, of course, he changes his tune because he realizes that he's got to pay the bills. And then George Carlin, with a grim reminder, the routine is funny, but the reminder is grim. Reminder is you have no rights. You might think you do, but you don't. And he points out so appropriately the example of Japanese Americans in World War II was in May of 1942 when President Roosevelt, great FDR, signed the executive order that put People of Japanese ancestry, most of them American citizens, into prison camps. Places like Tanforan, horse, the horse racing track. People were put in there to uh, live in horse stalls where horses are killed. Anyway. Mr. Carlin hits it right on the nose. You don't have any rights. And what do you do if you don't have any rights? It's called organizing. And finally, Las Cafeteras, a Chicano band, with their, their song, Trabajador, Trabajadora, paying tribute to their parents who worked so hard so that their children could have a better life. Paying tribute to parents all over the world who do that, who go to work and work labor away their lives so their children can have a better life. <clears throat> yes, it is. This is Labor and Love. And take a look at some of the things that we Hold dear here on uh, I want to read some of our credos and uh, our credos are the things that we live by at this on this program. He 
things that animate us to build a better world, the things that keep us going. You always hear people say, well, I'm just not that into politics. You're just not that into politics. Says DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, Los Angeles chapter. You're just not that into politics. Your boss is. Landlord is. Your insurance company is. And every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. Time to get into politics. What about immigrants? What about the immigrant situation? Mr. Trump and his lackeys have turned this into an issue where there was no issue before or where the issue had been managed in a humanistic way. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without special social security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals. This hideous thing that Ron DeSantis and Governor Abbott of Texas are doing. Taking living, breathing people, human beings, and dumping them on someone else's doorstep. It's long been the practice of local police to put people in buses and send them out of town. And now that's being done on a national level. We'll have some more about that when we get to our habituation section, but this whole wall is just 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor instead of realizing that the reason they're all poor is due to vast income inequality and resource price inflation in the combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains. And can we really believe this? Really believe the garbage shoveled out? Like I say, we'll get to more of that later. Need. More credos. When the penalty for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape, that's when you know that there's a war on women. Oh, yes. 
It can happen, right? It can happen. A woman gets raped, gets pregnant. She can be forced to let her child see the rapist. If she decides to get an abortion, she can be thrown in prison. While in many cases, the rapist goes free with a slap on the wrist. What kind of madness is this? Madness, I'll say it. It's madness. See what we've got. All right. I guess that's it. There's one more I wanted to say about... This is Robert Reich talking, and Reich is a, kind of a people's economist. He was a Secretary of Labor under Clinton, and his views are moderate. They're not anything like, say, Richard Wolff, if you want to hear... Uh, Radical economics as if people mattered. Tune in to Richard Wolf on Fridays on KPFA or on his website, Democracy at Work. Robert Reich says, your reminder that the richest 1% own half of the stock market and the richest 10% own almost all, 92% of it. So when you see those numbers... You have to say, what does this have to do with me? So when people brag about the stock market going up or down, they're not talking about the economy that 90% of Americans inhabit. It's a giant you know, roulette wheel for the rich. And finally, here's Lawrence Ferlinghetti. He puts it down. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silent, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero and aims to rule the world by force and by torture, pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own, pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed, pity the nation. Oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. The country tears of thee. Weak land indeed. That's Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Recently passed Lawrence Ferlinghetti. What have we got today? I mean, all this has been as introduction. <laughs> Let's see what we've got on hand. We've got the bituation room. 
We got radio labor coming right up, actually. Labor history in two minutes. Special songs for young women that I know. Getting a little romantic. The U.S. is the most overworked population in the world. True or false? Modern Americans work more than peasants in the Middle Ages. True or false? We had the habituation room. Okay, and finally, we've got uh, labor notes. Nice section about labor notes and people seeking a bigger voice at work. Home Depot workers. Florida letter carriers. Frontier Airlines on strike. Come on. There's something going on here. Okay, well, let's start with Radio Labor, our weekly labor report, worldwide labor report, produced by people at Radio Labor. Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, the world needs millions of well-paid and trained teachers. A progressive government is providing hope to workers in Colombia. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. We need 69 million teachers to join the teaching profession. That is Mogwena Maluleki, the General Secretary of the South African Democratic Teachers Union, SAD2. He was speaking at the UN's Transforming Education Summit held in New York on September 17th, 18th, and 19th, 2020. The summit brought together national leaders to discuss how to improve education in their countries and around the world. He mentions the SDGs, the UN Strategic Development Goals. I have been a teacher for 34 years. But today I am not speaking for myself. I'm speaking on behalf of the 32 million teachers that are represented by Education International through our 383 member organizations around the world. I was born on a farm in the apartheid South Africa. There was no school on the farm. So I was not allowed to go to school until I was nine years old. When I was allowed to go to school, I had to cross the river by swimming during rainy season to go and access education. I worked as a child laborer. I worked in the morning, 
I worked after school until 7 o'clock in the evening. So where is the agency of the teachers in all this? So education has expanded my world, but not only because of the education and the knowledge I received, but importantly, in the human interaction with my teachers. I was determined and turbocharged by my internal moral engine to be part of that world. Yet since teachers did, didn't generally look like me, I knew that becoming one would mean a world of difference for the students would do. From my work as a teacher, my understanding of the power of collaborative professionalism and organizing grew. Individuals can become heroes, of course, but a movement can transform the course of history. And that's where the teachers come in, in all what we have had today. We are to build a movement to transform education that will be responsible if we are individuals who cannot achieve that. It is only possible if we become partners in real sense of the word and focus very clearly on what it takes to achieve SDG 4. And it's very simple. Free quality education for every student. The needs are very simple. The first is we need 69 million teachers to join the teaching profession. But not only to join, we need to bring them in, we need to keep them in the teaching fraternity, in the profession. But to do that, I have learned as a child, as a young man who joined the teaching fraternity, that we need to create transformative environment. We need decent salaries for the teachers. We need to trust the teachers and allow them to exercise that professional autonomy in what they are doing. That's where the agency of the teachers are, because they build the nation, they build all the profession, and they build characters, and they build relationships. So therefore, we need to be able to support them. Excellencies, please, wherever you are, remember the teachers. Remember and trust the teachers. For years, one of the most dangerous countries for unionists has been Colombia. But with the recent election of a progressive leftist government, there is hope in the air for not only labor unions, but democracy as well. To help explain the events in Colombia, the Solidarity Center in the United States produced a podcast featuring a labor lawyer and activist in the country. The podcast was hosted by the executive director of the center, Shauna Baderblau. Mary Laura Perdomo a labor lawyer and trade unionist in Colombia, tells us how unions, together with young people and indigenous and black communities, achieved the election of the country's first progressive government. Mary Laura has been an integral part of the multi-year democratic process that unified people around their basic rights, like decent wages, accessible health care, and an end to discrimination, and the violence that has visited union leaders far too often in South America. A quick note about the interview with Mary Laura, you'll hear her describe the new government in Colombia as leftist. This is in reaction to the highly conservative and far-right administrations that have come before it. 
Let's hear now from Mary Laura, my sister at the Solidarity Center and a lawyer at the International Lawyers Assisting Workers or ILAW Network. Hi, everybody. Pleasure to be here. My name is Mary Laura Perdomo. I'm a labor lawyer from Colombia, and actually I'm the regional coordinator for Latin America and the Caribbean for the ILO Network, which is a global network of lawyers assisting workers. Here we had two very important elections in Colombia. We had our elections to the Congress of the Republic, which is our parliament, and we had our presidential elections. And for the first time in Colombia's history, we elected a leftist government. But not only that, we also elected as vice president a woman who comes from the, one of the most marginalized sectors of society in Colombia, an environmental warrior, a black woman. And it's, I can't stress this enough, it's the first time in the history of Colombia that we've chosen an alternative, progressive, leftist government. There are several factors that explain why we got to elect this leftist government and why we have such an environmental warrior as a vice president and someone who also fights for the rights of those who have been marginalized. The first factor is that there was a big social revolution, and it's part of a chain of big social upheaval that was happening all over Latin America, and that changed the, uh, the, uh, the, the proportion of leftist governments in, in the region. So it all started with a big strike that was actually called by the unions of the, in the country and in the uh, last months of 2019. And so in 2021, the unions decided to call again for another strike that was fed by the, the uh, 2019 strike that had been cut short by the pandemic. So this big social energy took over the cities, took over the whole country. And when they saw that the government was doing absolutely nothing to respond to all this, this pushed, this pushed Colombian people over the edge. That's when they decided that they needed to change everything that had not been working until then. The two big strikes called, by, uh, called in 2019 and 2021 by the unions respond to three big reasons, I think. The first is that the government decided to implement a series of reforms in labor that just wanted to create a parallel system for social security that was going to turn work into an even more precarious and more flimsy situation for many of the workers. Second, they wanted to launch a series of fiscal reforms or tax reforms that meant that they were going to raise the taxes for the poorest households while lowering the taxes for the powerful corporations and the rich people that had put the previous president in power. And the third reason, I think, is the, the anti-social violence that we've been seeing in Colombia, in which, because in Colombia, union leaders are still being murdered for what they do, together with the anti-social violence that we're seeing and the fact that the government was trying to deepen the inequality with the proposals that they have put forth, that made people realize that they... They couldn't take it anymore. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of the dangers facing journalists attempting to cover public protests in Russia and Iran, and how and why a journalist union leader has been targeted for assassination in Pakistan. Attacks on journalists have become common worldwide in the past decade. In countries like Mexico, reporters are regularly murdered and their killers enjoy impunity from prosecution. In others, like China, state persecution and imprisonment are routine. Visit the International Federation of Journalists website for details of its global campaign to end impunity and its efforts to force the release of imprisoned journalists worldwide. 
We also carried news of a strike by Ukrainian miners, despite restrictions on labor rights in that country, and about the one-day general strike for wage increases that match inflation, and a walkout by 20,000 bank workers in South Korea as their union pushes for a wage increase equal to the rate of inflation. And we had coverage of giant protests in Ecuador as workers there demand that the government make the required contributions to the state pension plan and calls for more funding for the school system in Iraq. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news items about the organizers behind the coming Swiss referendum on pension equality in that country, a fantastic story about a mentoring program created by UniGlobal Union for Women Leaders of South African Trade Unions, and a report from the Irish Confederation of Trade Unions Women's Conference. Other news about women workers this week came to us from Iran, the United Kingdom, Ghana, Latin America, Spain, Panama, Argentina, Brazil, New Zealand, Israel, Algeria, Portugal, the United States, Canada, and from the Philippines. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week includes an item about the unsafe transportation methods forced on farm workers in South Africa, where in the past year 20 workers have died and more than 200 have been seriously injured while moving from one work location to another. We also covered the move to greater cooperation between health and safety activists in divided Cyprus, and how Canadian rail workers marked Railway Safety Week. Our current photo of the week is of a crowd of striking workers at the Mercedes factory in Brazil. The workers walked off the job last week after layoffs were announced by the profit-making company. This is Derek Blackheader from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here's the UK singing group Workers with Let's Work Together.
Let's Work Together was produced by the British Trades Union Congress, the TUC. And that's it. Labor news you can use. You can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Hey, that was our radio labor feature. News from all over the world. Things are happening in Colombia. Remember, all over the world, in every time and every place, <clears throat> workers have stood up and are standing up for better lives, better workplaces, better society. The only time you're alone is when you don't stand up. Okay, let's let's uh, play some music now. This is uh, Brittany Howard. And, um, Brittany Howard was uh, referred to me by one of my best all-time friends. I want to dedicate this song to him. His name was uh, Earl Coleman. And we've known each other for, I don't know, 50 years? I want to say that. (laughs) 50 years. Um, getting a little teary up here. Let's see if I can find. Here we go. Called, I want to get high with you. I want to stay high with you. It's for you, Earl. Got a view of a guy driving home from a, a factory job.
quiero porque nunca me habían visto enamorada yo te juro que yo misma no comprendo el por qué me fascina tu mirada cuando estoy cerca de ti y estoy contenta no quisiera que de nadie te acordaras tengo celos hasta del pensamiento que pueda recordarte a otra ilusión amada That set was as we came off the radio labor, and we had, uh, let's work together, every boy, girl, woman, and man, and then dedicated to Earl J. Coleman, want to stay high with you, and this last one, Kurame, a love song, sung by Lydia Mendoza. Urame, swear to me. This is the B. We're just passing over the one o'clock, the eleven o'clock hour. And with uh, Miles Davis. Be back in a bit.
Okay, we're back now. <clears throat> Some of our featured articles today. Let's start with our labor history in two minutes from Rick Smith. Labor activist Mother Jones I'm Rick Smith and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1912. That was the day that labor activist Mother Jones led a march of minors' children through the streets of Charleston, West Virginia. Her aim was to illustrate the effects of poverty. In the speech she gave that day, Mother Jones declared, tyranny, robbery, and oppression of the people must go. The children must be educated. Her march took place during the 1912 to 1913 Paint Creek Cabin Creek coal miners strike in that state. During the strike, gunfire was exchanged between members of the United Mine Workers and the mine owners hired private army. The governor declared martial law on three separate occasions. Mother Jones was arrested in February of 1913. She was accused of conspiring to commit murder and brought before a military court. She refused to recognize the legitimacy of her court-martial. Mother Jones was sentenced to 20 years in the state penitentiary. While she was under house arrest for 85 days, Mother Jones contracted a dangerous case of pneumonia. She was 76 years old. Her support of the miners and subsequent trial helped build the reputation of Mother Jones as a tough union activist and the miners' angel. It also helped lead the U.S. Senate to launch an investigation into conditions in the West Virginia coal mine. When Henry D. Hatfield was elected governor of West Virginia, he was determined to end the labor crisis. He released those who had been convicted under the military court. On May 8th, Mother Jones was set free. Mother Jones, the grandmother of all agitators, continued her fight for working people. Mother Jones's trial helped to spotlight the low wages coal miners earned, the long hours they worked, and the dangerous working conditions under which they toiled. One of her most remembered quotes, is pray for the dead, but fight like hell for the living. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1878. That was the day that socialist author Upton Sinclair was born in Baltimore, Maryland. A prolific writer, Sinclair wrote nearly 100 books and other publications. Upton Sinclair's father and father's relatives had been wealthy Southerners. But thanks to the Civil War and its aftermath, the family was left in financial ruins. His mother was from a wealthy Episcopalian family and was very strict. Sinclair often stayed with her wealthy parents. These family experiences growing up gave Sinclair an insight into how both the rich and poor lived. Sinclair studied at the City College of New York and for a time at Columbia University. He went on to write several popular novels that explored the experiences of working people in the rapidly industrializing United States. The Flyver King explored the impact of Henry Ford on auto production. Oil focused on the oil industry in Southern California. But Sinclair is best remembered for his classic expose of the Chicago meatpacking industry, The Jungle. The book was fiction, but based in fact. 
1904, he spent seven weeks working undercover in Chicago's meatpacking plants to get material for the book. The Jungle was published in 1906 and was immediately a bestseller. It was originally published in serial form in a socialist newspaper. Sinclair said that he wrote the novel intending to set forth the breaking of human hearts by a system which exploits the labor of men and women for profit. The novel led to congressional legislation and federal regulation of the meatpacking industry. It helped lead to the passage of the Meat Inspection Act and the Pure Food and Drug Act. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1981. More than 400,000 union members marched in Labor Day's first Solidarity Day demonstration in Washington, D.C. The demonstration was called by the AFL-CIO to protest the Reagan administration's policies and the firing of striking air traffic controllers. At the beginning of August, nearly 13,000 air traffic controllers had walked out after talks with the Federal Aviation Administration collapsed. At least 7,000 flights were canceled on that day. The Professional Air Traffic Controllers Organization wanted an annual wage increase and a reduction in work hours. The FAA counteroffer fell far short of what the union wanted. Reagan declared the strike was illegal and eventually fired every striking PATCO worker. President Reagan even went as far as to impose lifetime bans on rehiring any of these workers. The union was decertified in October of 1981. PATCO was just the beginning. Reagan's policies were definitely anti-union. He put union foes in control of the very agencies that were designed to protect and further the rights and interests of workers. He named Donald Dotson the chairman of the National Labor Relations Board. The NLRB oversees union representation elections and labor management bargaining. Dotson let his opinions on unions known when he said that unionized labor relations have been the major contributors to the decline and failure of once healthy industries and have caused destruction of individual freedom. Under Dodson, the board abandoned its purpose to promote collective bargaining. The NLRB settled only about half as many complaints of employers' illegal actions as the board during the Carter administration. Those that were settled upheld employers in three-fourths of the cases. The Reagan-era anti-union policies and attacks on workers have had serious repercussions that workers are still suffering from to this day. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1868. That was the day that Susan B. Anthony and a committee on female labor called for a vote for equal pay, for equal work at the National Labor Congress. It was the second annual meeting of labor leaders from throughout the nation. Anthony had begun publication of a newspaper, The Revolution. The paper advocated for an eight-hour workday and equal pay, for equal work. Working on the paper, Anthony met women in the printing and sewing trades who were excluded from men's trade unions. These women began to form the Working Women's Association. Unfortunately, the male delegates to the National Labor Congress decided not to take up the push for equal pay. Today, a woman earns about 80 cents for every dollar earned by a man. In January 2009, President Barack Obama signed the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Restoration Act. 
The act was named for a woman who fought for equal pay for equal work. Obama said, the very first bill I signed into law as president was the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Restoration Act. It was a big step toward making sure every worker in this country, man or woman, receives equal pay for equal work. He continued saying, I signed this law for women like my mother, a single mother who paid her way through college and made huge contributions to a workforce that wasn't always fair to her. However, the wage gap has not really changed since the signing of that act. Even now, the amount a woman loses to the pay gap over the course of her life could feed a family of four for 37 years. There is still much work to be done to ensure all workers are paid a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. Rick Smith there <clears throat> with our weekly labor history feature. Susan B. Anthony was an activist. That's not something that's usually usually written or talked about. People would rather talk about women getting the vote, which is so important, but also the fact that women have been fighting for equal pay or equal value of work had a uh, section on that from uh, Red Glass's book. If you want to find out about the California labor movement from Mission to Microchip, it's entitled, get that book. It's a good read. Now I want to celebrate <clears throat> some young ladies. We have... Uh, a young lady in Fair Oaks. We have a young lady in uh, Saramonte. And we have a young lady in the Mission. <clears throat> so I'm going to play a couple of songs for them. Also, Tavita, who's in Europe. Having a good time. Eras niña de largos silencios y ya me querías bien. Tu mirada buscaba la mía, jugabas a ser mujer. Pocos años ganados al tiempo, vestidos con otra piel. Y mi vida que nada esperaba, también te quería vivir. Te extrañaba ya tanto que al no verte a mi lado, ya soñaba con volverte a ver. Y entre tanto, estaba inventando de niña mujer y esa niña de largos silencios volaba tan alto que mi mirada 
was Johnny Cash. <clears throat> that was their set on Young Women. <clears throat> young Women. We had uh, You Are My Sunshine, of course. Johnny Cash. Stevie Wonder singing on the occasion of the birth of his daughter. Isn't she lovely? And Julio Iglesias. Don't play much Julio Iglesias. Uh, there he is, singing about his his daughter, Benunya Muher, from Girl to Woman. All right, we want to play some of the bituation. I do want to play the one by... I do want to play the one by... Um, Ray and someone just told me I'm a sunny war. Sunny war, and her song is called My Sweet Demise. See if we can get that up here. I wanted to play that. A neighbor. Odors are a natural part of life. Tell me about a singer named Sunny War, and it's called My Sweet Demise. This is my father. You blues people gather around. So, he had a party. I didn't 
Okay, Brittany War there, called My Sweet Demise, a new voice that was just mentioned to me by a neighbor yesterday, so I thought I'd look it up and play something by her, so <clears throat> that one was very blues-oriented, that's okay, I'm a blues guy. Congratulations on Mr. Albert Poolholtz. 
for hitting a 700th home run, entering that room that where only three other people live, Harry Bonds, Henry Aaron, and Babe Ruth, Mr. Albert Toolholz, whose manager said he was the hardest working guy he'd ever seen, a big clumsy guy when he came up. He developed into a very good first baseman, and of course, 700 times so far has hit the ball so it left the ballpark. Albert Pujols. And Aaron Judge, player for the New York Yankees now, is uh, poised to break the American League home run record of 61 in one year set by Roger Maris. So congratulations to him as well. I want to switch switch the the tenor of this show. It's been lighthearted today, a little lighthearted. But I want to draw your attention to one of the most cynical, hateful acts that I've seen any public official make in this country, and that's saying something. Of course, I'm referring to Mr. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, taking refugee people, putting them on buses, and sending them to the north, where presumably all these rich, effete, high, you know, upper-class people live. 72 people were sent to Martha's Vineyard. Can't believe that Mr. DeSantis, I can believe he's full of hate, that kind of hate and crooked dealing, you know, practiced by the master ex-president, but that Mr. DeSantis would think that there would be enough Haters, enough of those MAGA people, enough of those people who the immigrant workers as a threat. Anyway, it's hard, hard to feature. Um, Let's listen to what the habituation room is, because I'm, frankly, out of words. See what habituation says. Habituation, of course, is Francesca Fiorentini. Governor Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott's stunts uh, involving busing and flying migrants from their states to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts and Kamala Harris's home uh, in D.C. So we're talking 48 migrants from Venezuela who were flown, and this is weird, right? It's like DeSantis flying migrants from a state he's not in, so he's flying migrants from San Antonio, Texas to Martha's Vineyard. 
Uh, and now a sheriff in Texas is opening an investigation into the people involved in luring those migrants onto planes, including apparently a blonde woman named Perla, who I, I like. I'm like, who is this woman? But uh, let's look into what the fuck has been happening. Um, so how did he get the money for it? Uh, well, DeSantis spent $615,000 out of the state budget to charter two jets to fly the refugees. The money came from a $12 million program approved by the legislature using federal mm. COVID funds. There you go. Oh, Ronnie. Um, all kinds of problems, obviously, including the fact that, like, it, it just, he's cooking the books in his home state around COVID. The Republicans are, like, keeping Title 42 in a place so they can keep rejecting asylum seekers because of COVID, apparently, but they don't believe in it, but they do, but they, anyway. So when they got there to Martha's Vineyard, uh, immigration lawyers stepped up, uh, and two days after they arrived, they were bused to Joint Base Cape Cod on the mainland. Lawyers worked with federal officials to make sure they'd get where they needed to go without harming their status. Uh, Boston immigration lawyer Rachel Self told CBS News. Self also said that some refugees reported they were met by Homeland Security agents before boarding the jets who gave them false addresses and wrong information about which agency to contact to get their addresses changed. They were also told that jobs and housing would be waiting for them when they arrived. Now, I thought that was kind of crazy. I was like, damn, DHS yeah. is involved? What the fuck? I um, mean, do we know for sure, or was it just somebody just pretending to be or whatever? Because it, it seems to be a lot of- Cardboard cutout. Sheriff's badge, like little badge. Yeah, like, like I don't. I mean, and if you're not from here, how do you know what's the official uniform and badge texture? You know, like totally, you don't know. So you're just trying not to get deported. So I'm just gonna roll with this fluent speaking English person who said get on the plane. Totally, totally. And DHS says, I mean, I thought that was crazy, but they say, you, you know, they're like neither its agents nor immigration. Or Customs Enforcement and Border Patrol have helped DeSantis. They say they have they have no idea what's going on. And like, I know what you're saying, Roy. That like, ha like obviously, immigrants who don't know these different agencies, like they're not going to necessarily know. But I, I definitely don't believe DHS. <laughs> like I'm like, I don't trust. Oh, and, no. like the I'm sure the head didn't know what was going on. But I totally these. Oh yeah, they don't. They're not gonna go. Yep, we did it. Like, no, <laughs> yeah. not, not not a chance of it. Right, and there's some crazy, the craziest motherfuckers. Like, we think the people who join police forces are just kind of. I mean, not always, but it's always like, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's a cop. That makes sense. Um, people who join Customs and Border Patrol, man, they it's like they like the cruelty. Uh, it is extra cruel. It is uh, policing w with a side of more cruelty if you needed that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know who to believe, but it, we're getting, apparently we'll get to the bottom of it, even though, um, you know, according to the White House and the Justice Department, they're not saying if they're going to investigate allegations of trafficking, kidnapping. You got that one Texas sheriff who is. But let's look at what happened. So what, did, what were they told? This is from... Um, uh, popular, uh, sorry, popular information. Judd Legum, he says that the migrants were told reporters they were misled about the nature of the flights. Several migrants told NPR they were told the flight was going to Boston, not Martha's Vineyard. 
According to the migrants, a woman who identified herself as Perla also said that if they traveled to Boston, they could receive expedited work papers. That's a good reason to go. Of course. Um, and apparently they were given these, and please, let's comment on the quality of these brochures. These were brochures that Perla was handing out that to me look like like my mom printed them on her home printer after like I gave her tech support for half an hour because that's usually what I talked to her about. And so, and they're like, Massachusetts, Massachusetts welcomes you, beneficios para refugiados. And then... These brochures are printed in that same font as that used condom pamphlet that's at the clinic. <laughs> I know that's a very specific <laughs> analogy, but There's the people a used who know... <laughs> They know. Yeah, you know, you go to like the clinic for like your eyes. There's like that little brochure wall and it's right. just condoms and your menstrual cycle and yes. then tuberculosis and you. And then there's the one that just says use condoms. And it's all the same font. You know, the, the chat knows what I'm talking about. Fuck Hell y'all. Yeah. <laughs> the, my favorite brochure is the one that's like, so you're pregnant don't drink and, yeah. and it's like yeah motherfucker i know i know i'm supposed to drink. yeah this is a very courier new with 1.5 spacing between each letter type situation here it's, it's, yeah no that's yeah. exactly right there's so so in this case in that analogy this would be like hey you know that broken condom use it <laughs> put it on when it breaks it means it worked yeah, that's um, wild. I didn't know they had like I didn't know they were at FedEx office making duped up brochures to help really sell this, but I guess that makes perfect sense because the more legitimate it looks, the easier it is to get people on the plane. Exactly. And if you're promised expedited papers, I mean, that is that's essentially the golden ticket. So um apparently it said migrants would be given eight months cash assistance done i'm there assistance with housing cool food clothing transportation okay. and job interviews job training job placement registering for ch children for school assistance applying for social security guards and or cards excuse me and many other benefits which is kind of ironic because it's all the shit that republicans claim democrats are just handing out <laughs> to undocumented people um and, but it all honestly sounds good. Like, like everyone should get that, not just undocumented people. This would be tight. But anyhow, uh, yeah. I just, I just hope that the cities that are stepping up, and this is kind of a, it's a separate issue, but it kind of, no, it's, it's not really a separate issue. I, I, just, I just hope that the cities that are stepping up and helping these migrants, once this crisis has been solved for, the, for these particular parties, Mm -hmm. that these cities continue to have the same benevolence for the unhoused that are also there in their streets. Totally. And that's the thing where it gets a little like, all right, clearly you're good. So can you continue to help other people in a fucked up situation as well? Or were you just doing this because the Republicans are trying to embarrass you and you tried to throw boomerang back the embarrassment? So, you know, I just want to, I, I really hope that that this benevolence that these cities are displaying isn't, uh, you know, ultimately performative in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I think you're referring to the fact that a lot of Martha's Vineyard residents came out, gave hugs, helped folks, like, actually get back, because some of them had, like, 
you know, hearings they had to be at. And it's funny because the, 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 the Fox News line, you know, is like, aha, look at them, how they just, you know, they wanted them to get the hell out of there. They, you know, and, and you're like, no, it's not actually really what happened. But I think, and I saw this one meme of like the Homer disappearing into the bushes where it's like, you know, a liberal holding a like, one of those signs in this house, we believe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then as soon as like migrants come in, it's like a no trespassing. And you're like, yeah. that would be funny because that's on point, except when it comes to the unhoused is where liberals true, like if you really want to like get them, it is, you're exactly right. Like it's around unhoused people. And like well, the fact that, that a lot of folks in wealthier neighborhoods, not that like there are that many unhoused people in Martha's Vineyard, generally um it's a but small I, island but i'm not this for me the the point isn't isolated to the vineyard i mean we also i'm talking about chicago new york specifically right they scoop up unhoused put them on a bus and drop them off two counties away and be like good luck yeah. all right, all right. Exactly. same dick move there was just no plane involved okay that was a Discussion with uh, Francesca Fiorentini and Roy Wood Jr. about the situation created by Governor Ron DeSantis flying people from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. A stunt. A stunt. How many people will subscribe to something like that? To a, a hateful thing. Okay, it's about time for us to leave. As usual, there's not enough time. Let me see, Kerry Miraji. I'm going to go over this again now and make sure everyone understands. <laughs> um, this is Carrie Miraji with the Internacional. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you live and work, you're on the menu. Never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Good week and good work.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy, the small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I'd bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> International banking, diplomatic cables, nuclear missile launch codes all rely on unbreakable How is no Pam's encryption. not here what if the gate is closed? The first thing she does when she gets here is That nightmare gate. scenario seems to be a reality. A shadowy underworld syndicate is auctioning off access to the world's secrets. The only plausible explanation for this ability. Someone took it. The holy grail of code breaking. Quantum computing. Veteran CIA I'll look, agent I'll look John Cooney has tracked down the like. perpetrators and retrieved this technology from the U.S. government. Okay. And it's personal, as the Enigma brokers have already cost the lives of his fellow agents, perhaps including his partner. John Wessex, the Enigma brokers, is the first book of the John Cooney Hello. thrillers. Get it, John Coleman. Boss, you ever want to be funny? Oh, my. In front of an audience, other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? So if you go to joke workshops, there's more than two people paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. No! Are you serious? Listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang dabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radio. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. This is Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radio. Gate, we lose yes. all this sunlight. That's why I leave the I was just leaving the theater. Convertible 1969 gold Cadillac with a white interior. And I started to do some thinking. Black, black, black. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday number two. On the freeway. I am a Hello, Blake. Henry, Charlie here. Yeah, I have a report here, Henry, from your. And then, you know, I understand a little rascals. Hey, it's weird, like a mute. Make some accusations. You know what I'm saying? Find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Has John Clooney's friend and ally become a dangerous enemy? 
Private investigator Anton Gruber has been CIA agent John Clooney's trusted aide. Clooney may have questioned Gruber's taste in cuisine, but never his loyalty, until Gruber double-crossed him. Escaping with his life, Clooney is sidelined while his superior attempts to discover how Gruber was compromised. The investigation delves into Gruber's astonishing past, from his unpleasant days as an East German border guard to life as a narcotics agent, from his time in the tango clubs of Buenos Aires to a trip up the Amazon in search of Nazi gold. John Wessex's The Prague Deception is the third book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Hey, Mutineers Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission a leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff, talk to Under. Go to SkinOnSkins.com. That's S-K-I-N-O-N-S-K-I-N-S.com. You just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather? Go see Under. Everything is handcrafted and understated quality. Fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs. He also does fixes. Maybe you love that jacket. He'll put the zipper back in. Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. Volunteer for the San Francisco Food Bank. The San Francisco Food Bank relies on volunteers like you to help sort, package, and distribute healthy food to people in need in San Francisco. Each year, over 22,000 people contribute thousands of hours to fighting hunger in our community. This support will enable the SF Food Bank to distribute 43.5 million pounds of food this year 
enough for 93.000 meals every day. But they can't do it without volunteers. Visit www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer. Again, www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer to find out how you can help. Podcast and you can listen on the go. San Fran.